Mary, the Irish girl, let me in when I knocked at the door in my Sunday best, smelling of incense and evening fog. Gaslight flickered over the narrow hall. The mahogany banister's curve gleamed with beeswax polish, beeswax polish, and a rosewood hat rack and umbrella stand squatted to my left. I nodded to Mary, taking off my top hat. Snuff and baking butter mingled with my own pomade to battle the smell of steel and sulfur from below. Don't be startled, Mr. Claude, sir. Before I could speak, a whir of creatures surrounded me. At first, I thought them hummingbirds or large dragonflies. One hung poised before my eyes in a flutter of metallic skin and isin glass wings. Delicate gears spun in the wrist of a pinioned hand holding a needle-sharp sword. Desiree had created another marvel, bee-winged, glittering like tinsel. Who would have dreamed such things, let alone made them real? Only Desiree. Claude, a blasted pedantic popinjay of an Ox Oxford dean, romances Desiree a genius woman who makes clockwork creatures in Regency London. He's racist and misogynist, and even when she leaves him, he still doesn't get it. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris, and guess who I'm here with? Um, I can't guess. I, I'm, I'm really, really bad. At oh, wait, you're talking. It's me. Oh, yeah. Christy. You're here with Christy Baxter. That's right. And Christy. Yes. Through the lens of immortality, what story has come to us this week? The story that has come. Oh, I was going to try and make that somehow literary, but I'm, I don't have the brain power for that today. We read Clockwork Fairies by Cat Rambo. <laughs> steampunk steampunk our first brunch with steampunk on the show as a noted steampunk aficionado and former editor of exhibition hall one of the first steampunk fanzines i can say for certain i like it it is good it steampunk is is fun and it, i always am intrigued by the different types of clockwork creatures or beings or robots or whatever that authors come up with to put in there it's a very it can be a very whimsical world or a very hard-edged world depending on what the author does yes and you have authors like gail Carriger, where it's very whimsical you have authors like uh china myville mieville china uh who are dark and heavy and one of the issues that's often raised in steampunk is that aesthetic uh, tends to be Victorian, uh, tends to be very much of the upper class mm -hmm. and with all the trappings that come with that according to race and station and so forth. And one of the things that I really like about Clockwork Fairies is how it sort of, I don't know if I'd say thumbs its nose at that, but it is very pointedly about that. And Okay, so that is where at the very top of my my notes I have written like steampunk Bridgerton. <laughs> but I've not seen Bridgerton. Okay, I can explain it really easily. It's this, but without the steampunk. <laughs> but not oh, really. okay. there's 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 definitely um 
one aspect of Bridgerton, I think a big aspect is that it makes race not the huge deal that it was in the time period it's set in. You know, it, 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 it evens the playing field and makes it so that it's not even commented on and, and people are actually considered equals, at least within stations, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like there was, I wouldn't say this is exactly, the story is exactly like steampunk Bridgerton, but I, I definitely got, just having watched Bridgerton recently, I definitely got that that feeling, um, especially because of the, the we have Claude, uh, who is white and Desiree, who is black. And but he makes more of a deal out of it than they ever make in the show. He makes a deal out of it. I don't like Claude. I don't know if anybody's figured that out yet. Yeah, he's kind of hard to like. But at the same time, she has set up a world in which you could tell the majority of it is Claude. And I think. Yes. I think that helps make it possible to accept him as a narrator, but at the same time, to reject him as a jackass. Is that the word that I'm looking for? Well, I think I think yes, he's a jackass, but I think we can we can accept him as a narrator, but reject him as any sort of hero. I think because mm-hmm. he's he's not. He's he's just a a human being who yeah yeah product of his time blah 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 but at the same time people can obviously rise above that and have and he's not rising above anything he's just letting his own prejudices uh both about about women and about people of color influence him to to what becomes in his inner monologue a disturbing extent he refers to Desiree's mother as a, another one of her father's exotic pets. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. <sighs> but I think one of the biggest things about it is, is that she's dealing with issues of race within the story. And beautifully so. Because there is so much nuance around the whole thing. And one of the beauties of it is one there's amazing amount of beautiful exposition here there's exceptionally fun world building Um, my favorite being there was an interview with her in hardwick science gossip uh which i just love the idea of a science gossip magazine (laughs) that that needs to be a thing in reality why is that not a thing in reality uh because no one will subscribe to my patreon to launch it (laughs) and it's very disturbing um we get a wonderful scene of a ball and here cat rambo is doing something that is very pointed to not only steampunk but actually regency literature in general it is this idea of the public versus private and you have to get views of both and it's a beautiful sort of scenario that she sets up with it. Um, One of my favorite parts, though, has to be her dress. The description of the dress just kills me uh, because it is so much so a dress you would see at a steampunk convention. 
<laughs> and from what from the back I could see Desiree's silk skirt figured with gears, the teeth embroidered in red. I came behind her and slid my hand through the crook of her elbow, drawing close to show my pleasure at her presence there, despite her dress's outre nature. But the thing is, what really shows us is how how embedded steampunk is in this world. It's not just Desiree. It's the fact that that's not Desiree. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly. that, that's yeah. I think I think Desiree's dress is just like it's. It, I think it was later described as. Oh, I was hoping I wouldn't have to try to pronounce this word. Blue moire. Moo, a Macau. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) The completely glossing over that, so I don't have to try and make a fool of myself. Um, Sure, I did it for you. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, One of the things, though, is there is a moment that appears in pretty much every Regency romance. And that is, of course, the defense of the honor in which it is not needed. Yes, the 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 man who thinks that the, the woman is being taken advantage of, or or something along those lines, and he is feeling he it's it's not even defense of the woman; it's defense of what he sees as his property. Mm-hmm. And it's a lovely little. <laughs> it's almost an aside, I would say. But what's interesting is the response to it, I find, is what's more telling. Because it is the reaction to the events of the night before. One, of course, his desperate attempts to try and get back in her good graces. Uh, But how all of it sort of comes together in this sort of idea that she's a she is a statue that he needs to possess and when he makes a mark upon her he has to erase it and make everything clean again uh also i do love (laughs) i do love this entire section uh after the ball that just kills me uh lord southland by the way i like a lot yeah, yeah, he's 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 a hero here. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I get the feeling that he's supposed to be our stand-in, mm-hmm. but I'm not 100 percent sure on that because he's also deeply embedded within that system. But I feel like he has, as much as he's embedded in it, he's only managed to stay within it just by a string because he's mostly flouted all of the rules and conventions uh of of society for the most part that that didn't extend to his wife Desiree's mother who ended up being trapped in the house because she was black and you know it is so it doesn't extend beyond him and it, it kind of extends to Desiree but I feel like you know he still has his position and and his title and everything even though he did a lot of things that people probably were were clutching their their ever-loving pearls at (laughs) there is no question and also no end of pearl clutching i also love how she drops in elements that are recognizable in steampunk literature as being markers of steampunk who are also historical personages 
Babbage, of course, is the big one. John Stuart Mill pops up. I mean, there's all these little, little just elements. And this is one of those stories that, because you can do s- steampunk and actually not make it genre. And you end up with the movie Hugo. <laughs> you can do the steampunk thing as just an aesthetic. She doesn't do that. And I really enjoy that. But at the same time, very little in this story is reliant on any level of technology. Yeah, we don't necessarily get any hardcore explanations about how these little clockwork dragonflies and such and fairies, how they actually work. And and that's fine because we actually do know that this is this isn't just a, a, a science fiction thing as a steampunk kind of could could lean towards. This is a fantasy thing. There is magic in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but there is so many beautiful things that raise up again modern ideals. Um, Spiritual matters, her father exclaimed. I thought I had brought you up better than to believe in a crutch that supports feeble minds and their mediocrity. Had had he raised her as an atheist? I was appalled, but I knew I would be able to teach her otherwise, patiently and carefully, as a man must do with his wife. I want to believe in something other than science, she said, and I thrilled at the earnestness in her voice. I want to believe in something free and fierce, something that stands outside society. How thoroughly does this reflect the whole cry of spiritual but not religious that we see today all over the place? This idea that there's not necessarily a full-blown conflict between science and religion, but in a way she is at a point in between the two who are represented by uh, the two men who are both a little bit stubborn, I would say. <laughs> and I feel like you, you you picked that moment, and that moment is really where his his just absolute inability to get it really shines through. It's it reaches its true pinnacle because even when she says, "I want to believe in something free and fierce that stands outside society." His next thought, instead of being like, whoa, wait a second, maybe she's not so teachable after all, is her theology was muddled, but she could learn. He has no idea what she's all about, and he just wants to imprint whatever he thinks would make her the easiest for him to mold and shape into his perfect wife onto her. And that is the moment when you, you just realize that he's hopeless. He's absolutely hopeless. He's, he's just never going to get it. Yes. And I think you can make a very good argument that that is the literal end of the story there. That once that happens, you, you've you killed Tybalt. Everything is set and now it's just the falling action. Uh, but she does give us the, the fascinating, do you love her? I hesitated too long line. And I think it's obvious that he does. 
but he also doesn't understand what love is. Yes, I agree with you. I think he will say that he loves her. He will think that he loves her, but in order to love her, he would have to actually know her. He loves what he wants her to be. And she's never going to be that. And she doesn't want to be that. And goddamn good for her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm, it's rare that you're actually in fiction when you're like, God, I'm so glad she left him. But when she did, I was like, I left him and went off to the fairy kingdom, which is like uh, just con constant dangers just lurking in every corner. You know, every every sip of a beverage could could do you in or make you dance forever until your feet are stubs. But I actually I root for her because I know she can make it in that world and she needs to be far, far away from this, as, as Southland said, blasted pedantic popinjay, which uh, that is now on my, on my list of things I need to call somebody in real life. I'll work on making that reasonable. Uh, what I think here though, is we come to an ending that is a beautiful downer on one, on one hand. The second, of course, she's gained her freedom. I find something beautiful in here is that I wrote almost this exact same story and not a billionth as well. Uh, yeah, I hate myself for that. <laughs> I, I've, I've been there. <laughs> I've been there so much. <laughs> yeah, this is the second time I've seen a story, which is almost exactly the story that uh, I written at one point, one even published, but they did it so much better. That's the thing is there's, there's always somebody who will do it, who will do it better. That's because that you person, can never be perfect at writing. Yeah. And that person who will do it better is you. Probably not. I'm just going to go ahead and say, but, but my therapist would probably want me to say, well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my therapist will want me to pay my bill. Um, I think the most... <laughs> they all like that, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I think that the ultimate power of Cat Rambo's writing is encapsulated in this last section because she gets to go into the description. She gets to go into the emotional impact of the object on the person. And that is an incredibly difficult thing to sort of grok is that here she's not giving him a person She's presenting it that she is giving him the kind of woman he, he would desire. But she is giving him clockwork. She is giving him cold steel. She's giving him an object. And the sad thing is, he doesn't love the object. And that is what I think this story is powered by, is that complete divorce from his idea of love and the reality of love that I think Desiree is honestly experiencing and representing. Correct. <sighs> it feels good. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. It's a nice yeah. boost. Yes. All right.
Well, I think this was a great little story. I'm so glad I got to read this again. I know I had read it before a couple times because uh, Tor.com, good people. We love you, Tor. Um, I wanted to make sure, for crying out loud, I wanted to make sure that I did not do anybody dirty here as far as the, the Bridgerton comparison is going. So I wanted <laughs> to look up when the novels were started because um, I, I certainly wouldn't want Cat Ramble to be like, well, okay, they have 2000 apparently. Wow, those have been a long, <laughs> a lot longer than I thought. I've never heard of them before the Netflix series. And I am like in the book world. Um, okay, but but yeah, um, I just want to make sure I didn't do anything there that would offend anybody on one side or the other. Uh, but but yeah, I I just okay. A am I allowed to say the F word? <laughs> of course. Okay. Um, I promise I won't overuse it, but I just want to say that I love it when I get a chance and, and thank you to Kat Rambo for getting a chance for me to, to, to write that in my notes because I have second item in my notes. And once she had started bearing, such fancies would fall away. Her inventions, her clever machines were simply a way to channel her maternal instinct. Once she had a child, she would find herself devoted to it. And then in all caps, italics, fuck you. So... I, I very much appreciate having the opportunity to to get some channel some of my rage onto a, a fictional character. So thank you, thank you to Cat Rambo and to Claude. Yes, and you know it's like she said. Sometimes you dislike a man at first sight. <laughs> <sighs> All right, hey Christy. Yes. If we have a little extra time this week, what are we going to read? Uh, we are going to read, hang on a second while I pull it up from our Facebook thread, um, <laughs> Speech Sounds by Octavia Butler. Is it Speech uh, Sounds or is that just the name of the PDF for some bizarre reason? Uh, that is the name of the story. Okay, I'm just, I was just making sure because sometimes people name PDFs weird things. I don't know. Yes. No, this is actually, I believe, was first published in uh, Asimov's uh, wonderful story. And Octavia Butler is one of my favorite authors who we haven't talked about yet. So yippee. Yay, very excited for that. Indeed. Well, hey, you know what? This has been Short Story. Short Podcast. Short Podcast.